Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crow Medicine. It's me, your host, Katie Indy Crow, and today we are going to have another installment of Psychopomp Stories. I wanted to say a great big thank you to all of the people who showed positive support for this concept, and also to those who sent in gifts of support to this page. I appreciate you. I heard you loud and clear, and so right away, we are back with another little bit of the story. And today in this one, I tell you a little bit about how I figured out I was a psychopomp and what the process was to get here. One of the reasons why this is a fun story to tell is because it does cover over some of the main tropes that people find in their stories of spiritual awakening, including um, near-death experience and crossing over when I had cancer at the age of 15. Um, and Dark Night of the Soul, actually, too, and those lasted for a number of years, how I realized that I was seeing and sensing people and really where that started for me. And in telling this story, not only am I hoping to give you a little more insight about who I am and where all the information that I share on this podcast and my blogs and my school and my books comes from, but also just a little bit about what it is like to be on a spiritual journey like this, because I know that it is something that people are curious about, and I'm so happy to tell the story. So come on in, friends. This will be an intimate version of Crow Medicine, where you hear a little bit more of my personal psychopomp story and how I became Katie Indie Crow. You know, I want to thank my husband, Mike, for encouraging me to come forward and tell these stories because there's always that sense that if you start talking about yourself, that people think that you are being full of yourself or that you are trying to project something. And, you know, every time you live your life, you're just living your life. It seems like it is ordinary. I recognize that my life is a lot like a Shakespearean tragedy and that as I tell this story, there may be an inclination to want to feel bad for me or to feel sorry for me. And I don't want your pity. I am walking the path that I'm walking because I choose it. And although there are parts of it that are imbalanced and painful and hard, that has to do with what we're healing in the universe. And as we continue to fix those things, I know that the parts of the experience that are the most brutal will continue to go away and they already have. So please just like, <laughs> although I'm going to talk about some things that are hard and sad, know that I am a happy person and that it is through all of this adversity that I have learned just how important spirituality and the spiritual and metaphysical tools I teach are, these stories are also how they were created through fire. I walked and I continue to walk for this world. And so shout out to all the other people out there who are doing this in their own ways. I tell this story for all of us so that people can recognize a little bit more about who we are and what we do. So beginning this story, let's get started at what it was like to be me as a kid. I want to first say that I had really good parents who provided an extremely safe environment for me to grow up in, in the material world. <laughs> and so in my childhood, I had 
what you would call an extremely normal and healthy and happy experience on one side. I grew up in a small town called Summerside, Prince Edward Island. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of negative influences that people might be dealing with there. It was still a very simple place and you could run around outside with your friends playing and doing whatever you want. And there wasn't fear of a lot of violence, at least outside of the home, from adults. So we weren't really dealing too much with some of the things that my bigger city listeners deal with or even what some of the people living on the island deal with now. It was simple and it was beautiful. And I had a group of friends that lived across the potato field from me. And we played outside all the time. I always had food on the table. I had two parents who loved each other and who worked great jobs. And I was raised Roman Catholic. I went to church. Um, I was confirmed and all that good stuff. And so in that vein of my life, things were great. And I think I'm very lucky that I got to have that part of the human experience. However, even though that was what my experience was in the material world, in the spiritual and energy world and in the dream world and in my inner world, things were really difficult and scary and strange a lot of the time. Um, I'm a person that when I was born, um, they laugh that I was, you know, telling stories and talking by the 10 months old. And always so full of energy and running around and positive and creative and exciting. On the other side, however, until I learned how to master energy and heal my soul wounds, I was somebody that was hair trigger. And that on the other side of energy, there was always something dark happening and weird and scary there. And because there was always this unseen threat, when things would go wrong in the material world, I would absolutely lose it. So my poor parents actually had to raise a child who who was basically very difficult to manage. And they did a really good job. And, you know, at one point in my life, I had a spiritual teacher who tried to really manipulate a rift of energy that I had between myself and my mother, which was a core wound of mine at the time. And my mom and I have healed that wound and we get along better now than we ever have in our lifetime. And that's a story I will tell later on. But as a child, even though I had an amazing environment around me, I felt unloved, uncared for. Um, I didn't sleep at night because I had constant nightmares about being a slave of various sorts and being chained up to things and being hurt by adults and other people. And I also had a lot of dreams about vampires and vampirism, really worried about vampires as a constant threat. And so I would sleep with my rosary on. Um, and, you know, as I grew up and started finding myself, you know, the older I got, the more I started just learning how to defend myself in the dreams and fight back. And so I went from being a prisoner in the dreams to a person that was leading the children and the other people who were in danger out of the dangerous places into the safe spots. And that trope is something that I didn't understand until I was in my 30s. But I'm going to put that at the front of the story because I know that there are a lot of people who have dreams every night about moving places. So you're running through a corridor, you were in a bathroom, you're in a field. Sometimes you're being chased by a murderer. Sometimes you're being led by somebody who you maybe can't quite see that your face, but they seem familiar. Well, 
depending on where you're at in the world, I've operated gates all over this planet. And sometimes I have been that person. And I know that some of those people are going to be coming to this podcast. So I will keep telling stories about what happens in our dreamscapes and in our astralscapes so that you can start putting more meaning to the things that you have been experiencing. Because although this story that I'm telling you and that you're going to continue to hear about me is fantastical, there are threads of it that happen to every single person. And well, not every single person, geez Louise, that's a bit of an exaggeration, Katie. Rein it in. There are threads of it that happen to many people. And part of telling a story and being vulnerable like this is in fact really the idea of helping people appreciate who they are and where they're coming from on their own journey and to know that sometimes it takes a while to put meaning to all of that. So as a child, we're still at Katie as a child. We're going to wrap that part up here in a moment. But, you know, as a child, if we did a snapshot, I'm the kind of kid that read a book every day. I loved information. And the number one thing that I thought was so wonderful about this world was to be in school and to learn about it. Anything, everything I wanted to know. I loved Captain Planet. And I loved the idea that I was going to help the world. I think I first knew that there was something that was different about me. I was probably about four, four years old. And I just remember feeling this weight of responsibility and that I was going to really have to soon figure out who I was because the world was in danger and that it was really important to just like learn as much as I could and to be as smart and as perfect as I could. Because if I did that, then I'd be better at whatever it was that was coming for me in my future. And so I started feeling that stress probably at about the age of like four, but by about six or seven, it really started to kick in. And yeah, it was, that was just one of those weird things, you know, to be a perfectionist because what was happening, you know, my soul knew that what was going to come next was cancer. And with the cancer was going to come the walking in and out of the body and on that, you know, different stages of my life, different things were going to change progressively and get more and more intense and more and more like this. And so back then in those days, you know, I got to curl. I got to go to my friend's houses on the weekend and we did sleepovers. I did a lot of the regular things that people do, which I think is really helpful because it educated me about what the real world is like for everyone and just how beautiful and wonderful it is. And that knowing and that experience has really inspired me for all of these years that I haven't been able to be in it as I've had to take care of it, which we'll get to at another part of the story. But ultimately, yeah, Katie as a snapshot as a child was an intense and a curious person who was studious. I was starting to have my first interactions with knowing that there was something going on behind the Bible. Um, at around the age of 14, the movie Stigmata came out. I don't know if any of you saw that. And in that movie, Patricia Arquette experiences the phenomena of Stigmata, which of course is the stations of the cross um, and, and bearing of the wounds that Christ went through. And it freaked me out because I bore or felt that I bore some of those wounds um, at certain times. And that was also the first time that I realized my connection to the Jesus story um, and just how much I believed in him as a teacher. And the end of the movie Stigmata, you know, throughout the movie, the whole concept is, is that this girl is having a direct experience with Christ. 
right? And and she wants to talk about how to experience the love of Christ in the way that Christ wanted it talked about, not necessarily the way that it's in the Bible. And this was riveting for me at 14. And I remember the end scene of this movie. And, you know, they're like, it's not about what is in a building. It's about what's within us and all around us. And, you know, the space of God is everywhere and we are it. And, and that is everything. And I remember as a child after hearing that and watching that, that I couldn't sleep probably for one close to two nights because I realized that that right there was going to be one of the main messages that I would share for the rest of my life. So around the age of 13, 14, as is the case with the soul progression, my soul started to change and my soul body experience started to change at that time. So a lot of people who will come to this podcast are parents. Perhaps you'll look back at your own life and think, okay, did I go through a big change at around the age of 13 or 14 that had to do with spirituality or how I understood myself? A lot of people just call it puberty. There is more to it than that. And we'll talk about that also in future podcasts. So subscribe and stick around for that one. For me, the big change at 13, 14 was that I very much started to become aware of the fact that there was another world of energy all around me and that it wasn't necessarily the one that I could see with my human eyes. And that if I, you know, did certain things, I would be able to feel and experience and connect to that other world more clearly. And so during that time, I had some of my very fun experiences. I remember walking home one night and a bush breathed. I saw a bush breathing for the first time and I was like, oh my God, the whole entire planet breathes like that. The planet is alive. And so for the first time, I knew that the planet was a sentient being and that what we experienced it as was a highly filtered version and that things were a lot more cool than we thought that they were. And that was a really fun experience. Around that time, my friend Amanda, hi Amanda, I think you listened to this. I hope it's okay I said your name. Um, had her had an uncle who was living at her house for a little while. And he was a gifted tarot card reader. And so, you know, as any 13 or 14 year old is, we're like, yeah, read our tarot cards. And I just remember him reading my tarot cards and looking at me and being like, yeah, you're about to get some really bad news and things are going to be very, very difficult for you in your life. Like you're going to have a hard life. And I was like, oh, great, you know, whatever. And so as your kid does, you just go back to living your life. And a few weeks later, I knew I had a doctor's appointment. This doctor's appointment was in reference to something that had started when I was 12. And it was supposed to just be a cyst removal. And so I was totally rebellious during high school. Um, because also by the time I was around the age of 13 or 14, my clairvoyant and clairsentient and my soul knowledge senses had started kicking in. So Katie at 13, 14 and this age bracket was a very different person than the younger Katie. This Katie had started to find herself and this Katie um, articulated who that person was very much. I mean, I knew that what they were teaching us at school wasn't right. I would see teachers doing things that were not right. And at that point, my my strong held belief in justice and equity and being fair and not like politicized equity, but actual balance became forefront. And that was, that's a very important characteristic of a psychopomp, right? It's 
being able to see things clearly for exactly what they are and being able to see through the different layers of it. However, when you're a kid and everybody is the boss of you and you are inside of a system that you know is an illusion, it can be a little bit crazy. And so knowing that I had this, so I would just skip a lot of school and just do whatever I wanted because that was who I was. I didn't care. Honestly, I got good grades, but I didn't care because I knew it was crappy. So <laughs> I was just my rebellious self, who I will always be. And so we're getting ready for me to go do this cyst removal it's supposed to be. So same friend. We skip school. We decide we're going to go have a barbecue because that's what you do when you're Canadian and something's about to happen. Especially if you're rural Canadian, you just go and you have a barbecue about it. You might have an adult beverage. I don't have those anymore. But when I was that age, I thought I was an adult. So I did. God. You know what I mean? And so you're, you're there and you're having your party with your friend and you're just like, yeah, I remember looking at her and saying, all right, Amanda, this is our last time that it's going to be like this. Things are going to change. I have cancer. And she just looked at me and she was like, no, you don't. You're going to be all right. And I think she cried. I don't know. And then I went home and the next day I went to the hospital and guess what? <laughs> I woke up on an operating table with a nurse standing over me crying and she said, you have cancer. So that was the day that things officially changed for me in my life. And it never went back to being normal again. And so even though the first few years of life like was weird psychically and I hadn't had any, I didn't have really any strength, power, protection, then I still had this innocence. And I still had this belief that I could be a child at least for a little while. And so I lost that innocence two weeks before my 16th birthday. And in that process, I found also a new part of my soul because guess what happens when you are put out and put under and you receive anesthesia in your soul, you know, that creates the situation where your soul can move more freely. Now, things are very different today than they were then, energetically speaking. People don't need to go through a near-death experience or have a bunch of anesthesia or use drugs or anything to connect to their soul. I want to be very clear about that, and my method teaches you how to do that. In fact, it's more clear than if you did anything else, and I can say that from experience. Um, the real stuff is the most powerful stuff and that's the soul stuff and that's your deep soul connection to source and creation and everything else that is, you know, it, it feels really good and it feels pure and it's clear and it's amazing and it is achievable for everyone. And so for me, when I left my body during the surgery, it wasn't my first time that I had had anesthesia. It was my third and I had become progressively different over those times and progressively more aware of the veil and what was behind it and that I could see things that other people were and I was probably this thing called a psychic like Google didn't exist yet and I come from a small town so there's not like books at the library about this so you're just kind of winging it in a rural like it's the 90s it's maybe yeah it's the 90s we're getting close to the year 2000 I think this was the year 2000 and then my next big moment really came just a f maybe a couple weeks after September 11th, 2001, which is also very significant because until that point, a major part of me was still active doing all of the soul things that I do now on the other side. And that, that terrible incident changed the course of my life and that it made me realize as a soul that I wasn't going to be able to have the life that I thought I was going to have um, this one and that there was just stuff going on in the world and universe and that it was time 
for all of us who are going to have the ability to try to really come together and fix this thing now and like do the full court press effort. And so 2001, I have my cancer surgery, a second one. It was my third one in total in life. And I walked out of my body. And during that one, I died. And I remember looking down at myself and seeing all the doctors and the nurses standing around me and getting ready to resuscitate me and doing an awesome job. Shout out to the people who kept me alive. Thank you so much. I love you and I appreciate you. My grandfather, Grant, who had died a couple years before, at that point came to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said, you know, Katie, you're not going to die. You have something to do for this world that is important and we need you and just know that in a few minutes you're going to go back down to your body and you're going to recover and everything is going to be all right and you're going to know when it's the thing when you meet the thing like when it comes to you you'll know and I just said okay cool so I gave him a hug and I went back down to my body and I opened my eyes and there they all were and in that moment when I had left and came back because of the huge hole that was created by September 11th, um, I was able to bring in a lot more of my own energy through the gape that was created and, and, and from another place that I had part of me actually was trapped. And that's a whole different story. Anyway, I was able to pull it back and reunify myself. And so at the age, but this time I was 16, I was integrated as a soul more than I had ever been. And I was Instead of going to stupid high school with people that I didn't want to listen to, <laughs> I got to be at home. Um, and I spent a lot of my high school years actually just like in recovery from cancer and doing this thing where I just traveled as a soul and learned how to put my soul back into my body and figured that all out. And so fortunately for me, that happened when I was a kid and I was in a country like Canada and I had two awesome parents and a friend, Amanda, and her mom, Judy, who really looked after me a lot. And, you know, it was because I was so young and had so much love around me, I recovered really fast. You know what I mean? Like I said, like, don't feel bad for me. You don't remember those moments. Like you remember them, but you don't. You know what I mean? And in the spectrum of life, one of the first things that I learned, you know, that I bring forward in my teachings now always and that has inspired me ever since then is, you know what, if it doesn't kill you, it does make you stronger. And being able to face cancer at 15 and 16 years old and then to recover from it. And, you know, I had a very high probability of death at that time. And it just was amazing to me. And I felt so grateful for my life. And I felt so inspired by this planet. And the part of me that came through back and unified my soul, I felt strong and I felt ready. And I wanted to help make things better. And so at the same time that I was building in that part of my personality and really just learning how to do that, people who were listening, you know, snapshot of Katie at that time. <laughs> Katie at this time was a person who loved punk rock and death metal. I loved The Exorcist and horror movies and anything that was involved with ghosts and the other side. I started to become very aware of the darkness in life. Shortly after I had all of these surgeries, I remember I also started seeing the really negative visions of dead people and not just like any dead people because dead people in themselves are not negative. In fact, I see dead people all the time. I feel them. I know when they're crossing. That's just like I, I, I love them. I do. I really do. 
I do. But it can be really creepy when you're seeing something that is not a nice one. And that not nice one is manifesting itself in space. And so probably around the age of 17, 18, shortly after the cancer surgeries, and as I was learning to come into my body, I also then realized that, okay, the things that used to chase me, they're still here. And okay, there are ghosts and poltergeists, and there are negative things that influence this world. And at that point, I was starting to put it all together. But you know, at 18 years old, I wasn't thinking I'm going to be a psychopomp, even though that's what my soul had always been. And that's what I was generally walking myself to at 18 years old. I was thinking I'm going to go to university and I'm going to become a politician, maybe the prime minister of Canada if I have to. And I'm going to do whatever it is that I can to help save the world. And so I enrolled in university. Altogether, I was involved in the university world from the age of 18, I think, until about 32, 33. And my opinion of formal academic education was much different than that in high school because in university, I found all of the things I had been looking for in life so far and finding anthropology and a person called Dr. Jean Mitchell and another one called Dr. Udo Krautwurst were another big important stage of life for me. I guess the third person, Irene Novacek, and those were my first real mentors that I ever had. And although none of them were my mentors spiritually, they were my mentors in that in order to be able to be who I am, I had to learn how to think take apart the different ways of thought and find ways to express the world that more accurately talked about what the world is. And so anthropology, social anthropology is a discipline that does that. Now, if you remember in the last segment, I talked about my grandfather, Grant, showing up to me during my out-of-body experience. And he said, you will know. So it just so happened that my first day of university, my first class, I had Introduction to Physical Anthropology with Jean Mitchell. And I remember within about 15 minutes of her talking about how anthropology approaches the world and where we situate folk knowledge and the knowledge of the people as key importance and this idea of interacting with the world and generating research knowledge from that was everything to me and only very much later did I realize that a lot of the reason why I was so interested in anthropology is because anthropology is the discipline that teaches you to pay attention to ancient societies and also contemporary societies that value things of the soul it is in anthropology where you go to learn about shamanism and totemism and animism and cultural relativism and it's in anthropology where you understand what colonialism is and how a certain form of religion got forced on a place or how a genocide happens. And ultimately, as you know from my other podcasts and my astrology reports, and as you will hear in my future psychopomp stories, a huge base of the knowledge that I'm even able to begin to go do that other work with comes from the time and the training that I received in my years doing a Bachelor of Arts or Master's and almost all the way to the end of a PhD 
which I left. And I'll talk about that later on in this segment. Now, the university years, I'm going to blend all together. Even though a lot happened in them, I think for the purposes of the story, I can summarize it all. One of the first things that happened when I got to university that was important to my life is that I finally was able to reunite with my animal companion, Damien. And so those of you who are old fans remember Damien as my black cat companion who used to be on film with me all the time. Um, and so he is still kicking around, although these days he goes by a bit of a different name. And Damien came to me as a gift from a person that I randomly met. And within a few days of meeting him, I knew that he was my protector for life. See, you see, the thing about being a spiritual person, even though I was Roman Catholic and I was, you know, in the Catholic Church and I did go to church and I learned a lot from a priest called Father Garth, who was absolutely 100 percent the most influential spiritual figure that I've met who is alive in this planet, other than my husband on me. My husband, obviously, is the number one. But Father Garth McKeoney, anybody who's from Summerside, shout out St. Paul's Parish. Uh, I know that listeners from my hometown do listen. And so he also was the priest at Hunter River and other other locations. He just knew about Jesus and he knew about the soul and being around somebody like him did help me get some idea how to take care of myself. But because of the way that the thought around spirituality and how spirituality could be practiced had been so limited during you know, the age of enlightenment and everything that had happened from the witch hunts forward. If you read my book, Soul Compass, that whole first part where I talk about laying out the ethnographic example about how like the idea of the soul became limited to this one thing that seems so um on, you know, just separate and away from what spirituality actually is. This applies right here. And so for me, I had turned away from being a Catholic and I knew that there was something that was bigger than all of it. And I knew that there was something that united us all. And I knew that I would figure it out. And so one of the main ways that I knew I was going to be able to figure out how it all worked was by studying in anthropology, which other than religious studies is basically the only discipline that pays any attention to any of it, which tells you a lot about how blind the academic world and how blind our world is to what really happens. And so I was super vulnerable as a soul at that time and as are many other people around me now which is why i tell these stories and why i teach the courses and why i do the books we have to learn how to take care of ourselves because even though there are people like me here and we are super good at what we do why would you want to let somebody else's why would you want your soul to be in somebody else's control when you can flow it for you and you can you know that's not to say disconnect from jesus or anything like that it's just to say why would you want somebody else to manage that for you anyway i needed spiritual protection. So Damien came in and really became my best buddy and my friend. And he saw me through everything during the bachelor of arts degree and the master's degree, um, especially the bachelor's degree. That was the most normal time in my life that I had ever had. I just studied and I went to school and I lived my life. Now, by the time 2007 or eight came around, I decided, all right, we're doing a master's degree. This anthropology thing, this is awesome. I want to be a professor or a politician one way or the other, whatever I'm going to do. Like I wanted to do social policy, really. Whatever I'm going to do, it's really important that you have a foundational knowledge of how structures and systems work and also how to study people within structures and systems so that you can find inefficiencies and inadequacies in them. 
And that is what I think is fun and interesting. So totally just threw myself into anthropology full time, was able to get a scholarship. So that was really cool, like an achievement in life, felt really proud. Get to Newfoundland and Labrador, which is an extremely powerful yet highly underrated place. Bam, major soul awakening happens. And so I'm getting to do, you know, arriving in Newfoundland. It's my master's degree. I'm supposed to be super excited and everything's supposed to be going really good. I had an awesome, awesome mentor there as well. His name was Reed. Just in August, just so many good. I had a lot of really good teachers in academia. I'm, I just love them all. And I know I really disappointed them when I left to do this. And I hope that one day I can send them this podcast and some of the books that I write and that they understand that like, I know they felt like it was a throwaway because I was their girl theoretically and everybody, we had such big plans to work together. Um, but this other stuff, this call of the soul and the taking care of the planet and doing what I do spiritually, I, it's a very unique set of knowledge and it's a really unique set of skills. And so anthropology and taking this path, I always, I think in my heart knew that it was something that was for a limited time only. So I gave everything I had every day to it. However, at the time, because I was in Newfoundland and it was another one of those key times of changeover in the soul life, um, and also just the adrenaline of not having cancer anymore had weared over the long-term impacts of what had happened to my soul and my body started kicking in. And so I had my first real bout with depression and anxiety, and I got to the point where I couldn't go outside. And... What I learned later on was that uh, it wasn't as much, like for me, the depression and anxiety all had to do with energy that I was holding related to on-hold things in my soul um, from crap that had tried to kill me and my husband in other lifetimes because it's happened and I had to figure that out and that's just part of the psychopomp story, right? You learn how to heal your soul. You learn how to walk other people home and you learn how to heal things people the planet everything at first by looking inside in your own wounds and so you know as i got into anthropology and i started studying exactly the same things that oppress the planet energetically um although i didn't have the context or the framework to understand what was happening at the time me coming into contact with these historical circumstances with books about these exact periods that I write about today and talk about like, you know, the industrial revolution and, you know, medieval Europe, like this is stuff that left key energetic imprints on the world. And a lot was happening spiritually at each time. And I will keep telling the stories about that. So please like, and subscribe to this podcast for more. It brought up the soul wounds that I had when related to those moments. And I had absolutely you no know, way to deal with it because the soul thing is not something we were talked about. I had walked away from the church and the church had nothing for me at that point anyway. And that's no disrespect to the church. Um, but I think a lot of the really good practices got taken out sometimes, but there's also some really good ones left. So cheers to those. I went to a counselor on my 22nd birthday. I was like, okay, life is pretty crazy or maybe 23. I don't remember what age I was. Anyway, I was an age and I was like, okay, I'm going to either live my life as a depressed miserable human who nobody wants to be around or I'm going to fix myself. <clears throat> and so 
I went in and, you know, the first thing was, do you want to take medication? And I had just gone through all of that and seen what medication does to your body. And so ever since then, I basically have not taken medication because I just don't like it. And so this was the first of me deciding, okay, I'm going to take a holistic approach to life and I'm going to see where that gets me. I'm not trying to influence anyone else to do the same. I made this choice because this was what my soul and my body made this is what made sense for us. So we were like, you know what? No, but I would like to learn some theories about psychology. Because I had taken psychology courses and almost actually went into that field, but anthropology was just better methodologically for me for how I view knowledge production and creation. And so then the the awesome psychologist I was working with gave me great literature. And she also said, have you tried yoga and meditation yet? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I have not. And so because of her suggestion, and because she was so willing to listen to me as a person instead of trying to push an agenda, and I really appreciated that about her, she was able to point me in the direction that ultimately pushed me on the path that made me who I am now and also gave me the tools to start healing and protecting and understanding myself, which was that I have an energy body. Oh, my God. And this energy body picks up information and things, and I'm really highly active in my energy body and I'm just overwhelmed all the time because of everything I'm picking up and also oh my god I have a soul which I eventually learned <laughs> and my soul is messed up and I just have to fix it and so that's what I went about learning you know I just in the process of doing my degrees and learning how to be a teacher and social activism and becoming you know involved in the occupy movement and everything else that i did over the years teaching university classes writing handbooks going up against um west sheridan and the liberal government shout out to the pei people again i know you're listening some of you may be laughing i'm deliberately telling stories because i know so many people from parts of my life listen and this is just how it all pieces together it must have been absolutely crazy to watch me go through all of these different changes because I've been a different person so many times. But what it really has been is just figuring out different parts of who I was and testing out different strands so that I'd be able to bring them all together one day. And so during these university years, I experienced success in a way that was really fun. I was good at what I did. And I had a lot of great jobs. And I was able to contribute to research that helped people have better lives, which was really important to me. Um, at the same time, I was moving in, I was studying spirituality and I was learning how to heal my soul. So I was learning all the basics of energy, body awareness and how to meditate, but not the meditation that I teach, just the basic meditation. And I was learning how to like, just come to terms with the overwhelming tide of emotions and experiences that I was having inside of my body because like I said, at the time, there weren't people really talking about things like this at this depth. And talking about them like this now is in part to hopefully to help people who feel this complexity within themselves to know that while it does take work, it is totally possible to figure ourselves out. And, you know, for me, coming to the physical exercise during this time and learning about how to heal my body through becoming extremely physically active and through food were two of the most important lessons that I got out of it. At this time, I had great friends and a lot of fun. So snapshot of Katie leading into, now this is basically from early 2003 that I just covered until 2010, 2011. And we, during these years, this was academic Katie snapshot. 
every single segment ends with a snapshot and snapshot of this one was the academic katie this is the katie who had polished nails and a nice haircut and dressed in you know 1960s inspired clothes to go to work each day who was your professor <laughs> who was your you know a public defender and social justice justice activist and he united people together to achieve things and positive good i was a person who had a lot of fun i loved going to parties you would be very hard pressed to find me after work without a beer in my hand and i was very much of the attitude that if you were part of the academic you know if you work all day you have your drink at night i don't really judge people who do that now i mean i i wish i could still drink but it just makes me violently ill but back at that time i could and i was really enjoying and living and exploring and loving life and you know i was working towards a goal which was a phd to do my PhD research and to, you know, write a book and to become a doctor and to, at this point I realized, okay, I'm not going to be a politician. I'm probably going to be a professor. So I was given everything I had in that direction. A common theme that you hear amongst people talking about moments that were significant to energy of the world, December 21st, 2012, is widely regarded as the moment or one of the moments the greatest moments that we will ever live and i would have to concur with that i think that there are more significant ones coming but at this time this would be the time where uh, the life of katie the anthropologist started wrapping up and the life of katie who i am now katie indy crow really started happening and it was a transition that took a number of years because I had a really hard time with it. One of the things that happens when you build yourself up and invest so much time in a mainstream life, so becoming a social anthropology professor and living and working in academia is a very safe life choice and it's a great life choice. Shout out to the people who made it and I really wanted my life to be that I loved it so much and I felt so fulfilled and even though during that time I found it difficult like when I look back at it now I just think you know what could have been and that's not in a sad way it's just more to say when you make a transition like I started making in 2012 and it took me a lot of years to make it um you know, going from living and working in a world, in a life that you had built that people could understand and accept, to moving into being basically in a world that is invisible, that a lot of people, including many of the people that you would have considered friends, think is insane. And to do it in a way where you're not sure how you're going to succeed, like how you're going to support yourself or what you're going to do or how it's all going to work, it was absolutely terrifying. And I'll be completely honest about that. However, when there is something that you have to do and it is at the core essence being of who you are, which is what this is to me, there is no other option. Your life will fall apart until you do the thing that you are supposed to be doing. And that's one of the things that coming into alignment and raising your vibration and 
energetic harmonization shifts on December 21st, 2012 all kind of came together to create the space for me. And it was, you know, this gateway, this doorway from being Katie Harris, who is who I was at the time, to being Katie Indigro, which is who I am now. And so it was a very interesting circumstance that it all kind of shaked down at and that at this particular time, I had just finished doing uh, the defense of my PhD uh, research and I had to go through anybody who's ever had like one of those moments, <laughs> you know how it's like you're standing in front of your whole department and everybody's basically got their water gun and they would like to just shoot your research in the face with some water because their job is to tear you apart. So that was really good. And at the time, you know, I actually did great because I was so prepared and my research was awesome. And then I was doing um, austerity research in Ireland, going to look at how uh, the global recession and the major bio by the IMF was impacting lived experience because um, the official story from the EU was everything's going good. But then on the other side, there's like so many people come into Canada and there was so much going on that I just knew there was more to the story. So I wound up studying social resistance. That's a whole other story in itself. But long story short, I was on my way over to Ireland for a visit to scope some things out. And so I just wrapped up my proposal and I knew that I was going to take a few months and just go do my thing. And so in the process of that, you know, just before 2012, you know, um, I was in a relationship, uh, things were, everything was going good at school, but like the same day that I achieved my pass to go to Ireland, which was my department said, yeah, go, okay, go on your, go on your trip, go on your, go on your trip, go do what you got to do to figure out how you're going to do this. Um, I also lost my boyfriend um, cause he cheated on me and disappeared that day. So that was like awful. And he had been like my best friend for a number of years before that. So you feel like the rug is like swept out from underneath your feet when that's happening. And of course that was all happening the actual day of my presentation. So he was avoiding communicating with me. So, you know, anybody out there who is in a situation that they know they need to get out of when something like this happens, that's an initiation point and it's your test to just GTFO. Don't keep going back to people who do that stuff to you because if that's who they are, that's who they are, that's who they are, that's who they are. That's something I've learned in life. Um, but in in that case, that was one of those times I was learning that lesson still. And so it broke my heart. So, you know, you're going and doing the thing that's the most important thing to you. And it's your pathway to something completely different. And then it feels like everything in your current life is just trying to make you not want to go do it and trying to beat you down. So at the same time, you know, back in those years, because I hadn't figured out how to master my spiritual self and because of some really weird family karma to do with being Acadian and um, just energy that was trying to attack my parents and cause a rift between us because of who I was spiritually and just how much more vulnerable I would be if I had nobody, had successfully created this space where I wasn't even talking to my family. So it's like December 21st, 2012, like it's actually that day moving into December 22nd and I'm getting on an airplane. And, you know, nobody's wishing me off. All of my friends had just messed off. Like the boyfriend, that was done. Just everything was over. You know what I mean? Like, as I got in that airplane and that moment, I just knew that like every bit of my mo every bit of my life um, had led to that moment. But that all also, it was just going to be drastically different. And I didn't as a child then, because I was still a child. I was like 27 or something at that age. I was a baby. At that age, I just didn't 
have the scope to recognize what that meant, but got in the airplane, flew for like 26 hours because that's how long you had to at that time. And uh, I remember getting off the plane in Ireland and it was just after that December 21st window had happened and it was basically some of my first footsteps that I had taken and it was in this continent. It was my first time there and I put my foot on the ground and I just felt an energy rush hit through my whole body. And my body vibrated in a way that I had never experienced before. And I just started hearing the heartbeat of the earth. And that was the moment that I became Katie Indy Crow. Because once you hear the heartbeat of the earth again, and it's your job to take care of it, there is no going back. Um, Because once you're not doing that, it feels like your soul is being ripped out. Because that's why you're here. And so for me, when I got there, it began this new phase of an adventure where all of a sudden I was also like 10 times more psychic than I had been. You know, I wasn't, I was a researcher. I didn't have time to like to study December 21st, 2012. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know that was a thing until like years later, maybe like a year or two later. For me, I just was like, whoa, Ireland, hello, like, this is a magical place. I had heard good things, but, you know, this is the next level. And, yeah, I just, it was overwhelming to be so psychic all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, I had, like, all this knowledge again, like, way more knowledge than I'd ever had before. And I could just answer my own questions and talk to plants. And the whole thing was is that Ireland is a soul home to me, and I've lived there more than once and I love Ireland I go there frequently and it, it's a very important part of my spiritual journey and so at this point I just knew that Ireland was going to be my teacher and that it was my job to just humble myself to the landscape and that if I just like went outside for a walk every single day and I quieted my mind and I listened to my soul in the land that I would be able to figure everything out and you know what that's exactly what I did And so I just, that began the journey of walking, you know, I've been walking ever since. And in those early years, what it really was, was walking around cityscapes that I had been in many times, in this case, Dublin, and leaving imprints for myself that I found later on. It was like picking up little pieces of the puzzle, old trees that I had been friends with, you know, meeting people that I had known in other lifetimes, starting to have a a really close, I had a really great friend group there. Like I really felt like Ireland was where I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And honestly, right now, if I could pick up my husband and we could go there and citizenship and immigration would be okay with it, I would love to do that still. Ireland is really where I feel most comfortable or France. And so at this time, it just, I went to my first rave, which was really important for my soul because you know, one of the things about the old times and other cultures, not, you know, here in North America, the only real, we don't really do the whole dance together thing very much. In Europe, they dance together. In other places of the world, people dance together. Here in North America, we're kind of not as dancey as we should be, in my opinion. And so over in Europe, you know, I was raised as a dancer and I have always loved music. I played music. I didn't make that part of the story, but music has always been a really important part of my life because music is part of how creator speaks to us all and so for me somebody who is a highly inspired musician or who is playing in a high harmonic connection to creator is able to create music or to put music on create like soundscapes 
um, that help us to find ourselves within that layer. So tone is what music is and tone evokes soul. So tone plus tone, and it's just an experience. And so I really learned a lot about what it was to be a dance floor um, energy person and experienced a lot about my early training and healing lessons. So at the same time that I was learning about how to hear the earth and how to heal the earth, which took, you know, I still study that every day. I mean, that was when I started studying that knowingly in this lifetime was like 2012 and I still study it every single day. And it is that unique ability to speak and listen. That is how I get the information that I give in my astrology reports and I talk about here. And it takes time to develop it. And, you know, these moments where I cherish them and I look back at them as, again, very beautiful and, and, and much more innocent than I am now. And I look at myself in those times and I think just I knew what was coming. And so when it came to the opportunity to connect to people, go to a rave, go to a party, go do something fun, I always said yes. I always said yes. And I had the most fun. And I learned that you don't have to, you know, grow old when you grow up. That was one thing that Ireland taught me because the heart of the Irish people and the crack, you know, like that is that joy that they share for life and each other and the joy and togetherness that you experience when you're in that country is on parallel to anything else I've ever experienced anywhere, you know, and I've been a lot of places and met a lot of people. Ireland has that special quality and characteristic and it just felt really good to be there. And thank you to all the people who took me into their homes and who taught me everything about it. But, you know, the thing about Ireland is that as I was there and as I was meeting, you know, karma and learning more about the laws of karma, learning how to hear the land and learning how to hear my soul, I also was starting to face this reality of like, okay, um, I'm pretty sure that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm pretty sure that I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm, I'm, that I'm not the same, even as other spiritual people. And I don't mean that. And I'm more special. I just mean that my soul is very experienced and I've been layering information to prepare myself for this lifetime to be a teacher now. And also to be on the, the go team planet go team universe let's clean it up crew we're fixing it this is just who i am this is what i do and so i started to realize that then and i really desperately wanted to finish my phd because i just thought that it would be so much better to have the doctor in front of my name and so you know this existential crisis started happening in the year 2013 leading into 2014 and it was like the pull. I started to feel the pull between wanting to focus on spirituality and my spiritual studies and spiritual expression every day and being a researcher and teaching classes and writing a PhD and um, getting ready to do a postdoc because that was the next step there um, that I was working myself towards. And it's just, as you can tell, it's, it's two very different worlds. I'm going to find a way to bring it all back together. I'm not going to go back to get a PhD, but I will write, hopefully, with some of my old colleagues, Brian Noble. Are you listening? <laughs> I, hope, I hope somewhere a crow caught and you heard me. Because, you know, within that framework, there we have so much to shift. And, you know, if I would have been mature in my thoughts back then as I am now, or if I would have been spiritually safe as I am now back then, I would have been able to make the leap. But back then, for me, everything was still so separated. And again, I was just a kid. 
and there was no teacher for me. Anytime I would meet a human teacher, um, and I did try, like I became a Reiki master and I did that to understand how energy flows. And I did try to seek out other people to teach me, but what would happen as soon as we would connect is that they would get really scared by my soul and by my abilities. And so like an example, I went to take a shamanic journey in class. And so the first assignment is listen to the drum track and breathe, come back and tell me what you experienced. So I listened to the drum track, I breathed, and then I experienced what was an advanced soul retrieval where I went and picked out a piece of my soul from something. And then I brought myself back through the beat of the drum and I healed myself and set myself free. And then I, so for me, I just thought everybody could do that. You know what I mean? And that, and and everybody can do that. And I actually wrote a book to teach you how to do that because everybody can do that. I just didn't realize that it wasn't like automatic for people. And so the teacher lost it at me because I wrote this experience and she just said you're gonna make everybody else in the class feel inferior and all this other stuff and I could just tell that she was really jealous of me and she couldn't understand and so I just said you know I'm out peace and I left and so I just then at that point realized that I was gonna have to become a student of myself it wasn't the first example but it was the last where I was going to allow somebody else's thoughts or experiences to interfere with my learning strategy and with my ability to study because you know at that point you know although i didn't realize just how to take care of my energy the way i know now which would have allowed me to finish the phd what i did know is how to do research and what i did know is how to strategize and what i did know is how to plan things out so you know in these years my big thing was trying to figure out how am i going to be katie indy crow and, and really, how am I going to take these things that I'm starting to feel that I need to do and, and make it to some kind of life? And so really, that started an existential crisis and a whole new round of training that went on for another five or six years. Well, all right, friends, that brings us to just about an hour of storytelling I think this is a good place to press pause and to say I will continue this story in the next installment of Psychopomp Stories. You can make sure that you hear it by signing up to my email list. I'll put it in the summary section that goes along with this. If you feel inspired to learn a little bit more about how to take care of your soul, I'd love you to buy my new book, Soul Compass Pathways to Conscious Self-Connection. I'll link it down below. I also gratefully receive donations and gifts of support to this podcast. They go towards the road trips that I have to make taking care of the planet. You can send one to buy me a coffee slash crow medicine or to paypal.me slash Crow. I will be back with another installment of crow medicine soon. Thank you so much for being here. It is my pleasure to tell these stories to you.